Well, we are, after a, a couple months away from it, getting back into the, the Gospel of John series that uh, we started in the fall. And this series is probably going to go uh, for quite a while because John, as I've mentioned, is probably my favorite book of the Bible. There's so much uh, to learn from it. And this sermon specifically, actually, I wrote uh, in October. I looked at the date as like when I saved it and wrote it. And I thought we were going to get to it in November, but there was just too much to talk about. So I didn't quite get uh, to it in uh, November. And then we had our Christmas series and a couple of New Year's sermons. But I've been very excited about preaching this one today. It's, I'd say, one of the most unique texts in all of Scripture. Uh, John chapter 8, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And it's one that I think uh, presents some really uh, unique things for us to think about. And I think it helps illustrate something that we're going to consider as we continue through this Gospel of John series that's mentioned about Jesus right from the beginning of John. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us um, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, which seems contradictory in some ways, right? I mean, sometimes truth-tellers in your family are really just, they say that they're truth-tellers because they're really negative people. You know, they're really just, that's what they say to like say really mean things. You're like, no, you're just mean. You're not a truth-teller. And to be somebody that's full of grace at the same time, how are you full of grace and also full of truth? So over these next months as we continue this series, we're going to be calling it Grace and Truth as we consider what it looks like to, to be people in the example of Jesus that are full of not only grace, but also truth, and not only truth, but also grace. So Corbin, if you go to that slide, Brian made another uh, great slide for us to help us think about this, what it means to be people of grace and truth. Ironically, I'm going to tell a story about a water fight that happened, as we have this picture of water. When I was in the youth group here growing up one day, uh, we had a, a men's prayer uh, meeting. It was a guy's prayer meeting, and it was a group of us teens at the church, and that's really just a code word for that eventually a water fight's going to happen, probably. So uh, we had some prayer time, but then a little bit of water started being thrown back and forth, and uh, we were uh, starting with just little bits of water here and there, and eventually it turned into trash cans full of water, and eventually uh, water was just kind of all over the place, and at this point, um, I, my clothes were so drenched that I, I went into just my boxers, so I'm running through the church in just, just my boxers. Again, it was only men there, so I was somewhat appropriate, and uh, I was uh, running through, still dripping wet all over, and I come screaming around um, th this corner over here, uh, right where this back entrance is, and in the door walks Ned Bracken. Now, those of you who know Ned Bracken know that he's probably one of the last people that you would want to see if you were just in your boxers running through a wet church building, because Ned Bracken uh, was maybe not known for the graceful side of truth in this uh, conversation. He was a, a church leader, an important guy, and a good guy, but not the one that you'd want to see in that moment. And I, maybe for you, you have other people that come to mind that, you know, was someone in your life who, you know, you did not want to have that bad moment with. And Ned sees me there dripping wet, and he says, what's going on? And I, I didn't even start with the prayer meeting. I, did, I was just like, um, you know, we, we're just having a water fight. And he said, well, looks like I need to help you. And he went and got a mop. 
And I'll always remember that moment. There are a few moments in my life I can totally picture how I was feeling and what was going on. And I think for us, a lot of those moments happen when we are maybe expecting condemnation. We're expecting the hammer to come down on us. We're expecting someone to do something mean. And then they're graceful. And those moments are just unbelievable when maybe you feel like, okay, I'm caught, you know, I'm, I'm red-handed, there's no way out of this. But someone shows us grace. But that doesn't mean that we only need grace. Sheila Walsh, here's a picture of her. You might recognize her. She's uh, a regular on Christian Broadcasting Network. She's a songwriter and a Christian artist, and she hosted a show called The 700 Club from time to time. And one morning on that show, she was interviewing someone, and in their conversation, the person said, hey, you know, you're always asking questions, but Sheila, how are you doing? And she said she barely held it together for the rest of that episode, and she got into her car, and she started to cry. Because no one had asked her that question in a really long time. And so she went home and just spent the evening crying. And she went to a friend the next morning who was a counselor. And as she sat with her friend, the counselor said, well, who are you? She said, Sheila Walsh. And the counselor said, no, 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 who are you? And she said, I'm, I don't know, I'm a songwriter and someone who regularly appears on CBN. The counselor said, no, really, who are you? Because if you had an answer to that question, I don't think you would have needed to come and see me. And Sheila Walsh realized that in that moment, she had forgotten who she was, that she had been hiding in plain sight, that she had been around people who talked about the gospel, who shared about truth, who shared about things all the time. But she didn't even know the truth herself. We're people who are in need of both grace and truth. We need to show people both grace and truth. But I think Jesus shows us how to do it in this story in John chapter 8. Let me read starting in verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This woman is brought before Jesus by the religious leaders. They use her shame this moment of disgrace as a weapon. And really, they're using her just as an object. They don't care about her and her story. They're just trying to trap Jesus. And I'm going to talk about exactly how crazy this trap is in just a few minutes. But Jesus, when he understands what's going on, he does something that's really unique and I think pretty profound. He begins to kneel down and he writes on the ground. That seems like 
odd behavior at first when you start to read it. I mean, it's not really you'd expect him to start to teach or to say something, but I think he's doing something that he knows that this woman needs because the Greek in this text tells us that she was caught, and it means maybe that she was caught literally in the act of adultery. So who knows how much clothing she has on? Who knows what she was able to put as they were dragging her out of this house as she's going through the streets to this temple court where it was a center of activity, people would have been there? I mean, to have your greatest shame, imagine if we, this, this week, you know, just put your greatest shame on in front of everybody, and maybe even you were in the act of doing it, and people got to watch you doing it. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible scene. And think about the eyes, the things that they've said to her, the curses that they've uttered. And Jesus, I think, in a moment of absolute brilliance, he begins to write on the sand. And just for a moment, I think she gets what she needs more than anything. As Jesus does this, I like to think of the crowd. Instead of looking at her for a moment, their eyes shift to him. And what she first needs more than anything else is the eyes of condemnation to be off her. The eyes of judgment, the things that they're saying. And so just for a moment, as Jesus writes in the sand, I often challenge um, couples who are going through uh, marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling with me to think about this passage because Jesus in this moment, he shows us what it is to practice loving action. Not just to say that you love people, but to actually practice loving action. And I talk to people about technology and the fact that you can end up telling your spouse or anyone that you're in relationship with, yeah, you're pretty important to me, but not as important as whatever story or text message that I'm reading right here, right now. And the truth about the internet and technology and all that stuff is it is always going to be way more interesting, or it's not always going to be, but oftentimes it's going to be more interesting or entertaining or able to grab your attention than the person who's in the room next to you. Because it's built for you, right? I mean, you get to go to have a catered experience. Whatever websites you like to visit, whatever place you want to go, you can go do that. And a relationship is not always going to be that exciting or that exhilarating. But we know that relationships are worth it. And the relationships that we have with real people in real time are way more important than the relationships we might have with people thousands of miles away or with our favorite sports team, with that article that we just have to read. So always ask people, are you practicing loving action in that very real way, the way that Jesus shows us in this story, that the first thing he does before he even begins to teach is he kneels down, I think, to get the eyes of the room off of her and on to him. As I think about him riding in the dirt, I think about a time previously where the dirt flowed through God's hands. The story of Genesis is Adam and Eve are created. And in that story, Adam and Eve, they find themselves naked and they feel no shame. And right now, she might be pretty close to naked. Maybe she has a little bit of clothing on her. But she feels unbelievable shame. Jesus is going to work on that. What I think is troubling about this story, especially as a religious person, is that religious people seem to always be on the opposite side of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is hoping for. 
As I said in a sermon a couple weeks ago, I know personally I've done unchristian things for Christian reasons. I feel like I have God on my side to stand up for justice and I'll gossip about people. I feel like I have on God on my side because I'm right about a certain issue and I'll treat people in the wrong way. I'll do unchristian things for Christian reasons. Jesus challenges us to not just use people in our lives as objects or props, but to examine our actions and our hearts. Because the people around Jesus who were constantly getting him into trouble and constantly making his life miserable were the people who knew all the religious rules but didn't know what it was like to follow your heart with God. Jesus, in this profound moment says think of yourselves first yeah you can name the sin in this woman's life right here sure but what about you this story um, is illustrated in one of my uh, favorite shows growing up the Simpsons and uh, in an episode of that I believe it's Homer who does something wrong and he quotes and says, well, you who is without sin cast the first stone to Ned Flanders and his kids. And Ned Flanders is the ultra-Christian in that show, and Ned Flanders and uh, his kids say, well, who wants to throw it first? Because they're all sinless over uh, in, in that family. So they all get the chance to, to make that throw if they want to. But the people in this scene, says the older ones first, they start to walk away. Because they examine their own hearts, they examine the sin in their life. And they set the rocks down. They begin to walk away. The context and moment where this thing happens is one of my favorite parts. It's something that we can easily miss if we're reading right past it. It says in Chapter 8, verse 2, this happens in the temple courts. And you have to understand that, first of all, that is where it's the center of Jewish life. People would have been there going in and out. Lots of people would have been in this place. But right next to the temple was a thing called the praetorium. Here's a picture uh, of that. And the Roman praetorium uh, was, was just a military base. And it was built right next to the temple to, to communicate some things to the Jewish people. It, it said to the Jewish people, yeah, sure, you can, you can worship your God, that's okay, but just FYI, we're watching everything. Because the Romans, they were okay with the Jewish people practicing their religions, as long as they didn't take too many extreme things and do, do things that they weren't supposed to do. But they were okay with like, letting them practice their religion, having a little bit of freedom, but they had this military base that was built right next to the temple. And it was built intentionally a few feet higher than the temple to say, you can worship your, your little God, that's nice. But just FYI, we're in charge. And eventually you're going to worship us. Eventually you're going to worship Rome. I mean, there were certain rules that they couldn't do. One, for example, is that the, the Jewish people couldn't put people to death. That was against the law. Because Rome said, okay, you, you can do certain things, but you can't decide when the penalty is death. So actually, later in the story of John, of course, um, Jesus is turned over to Roman authority because they can't crucify him. So they don't want to get in trouble, so that's what they end up doing. But the Roman leaders, they do this, I mean, just, or the Jewish leaders in this scene, they put Jesus in this impossible circumstance. 
Because on one level, you have the temple and what's going on there, and obviously the law, and they bring up the law and Moses and what Moses says. And then on the other side, you have Rome looking down and saying you can't, even if you wanted to, as your law might say, kill this woman. So what's Jesus to do? Because on the one side, yeah, the law says that you're supposed to do this. But what does it look like in this context? What are you supposed to do with Roman authority looking over your shoulder? The trap is set perfectly. And this is why I believe we serve a Savior that is so brilliant. Because he doesn't choose option A or option B. He chooses his own option, option C. He says, instead, look at your own hearts, look at your life. He's unbelievably smart in this moment as this trap is set. He says to the accusers, you know, if you know that there's no sin in your heart, you can throw it. You can throw that stone. They walk away. The old ones first. Unbelievable power of grace is shown. One thing that I think we learn from this story about how to live as people of grace and truth is that when, if we're going to be people who show truth to people's lives, we need to, I think, first show them grace. We need to be in relationship with those people. Oftentimes, I believe we think that we can just throw the truth out there and everybody's just going to believe exactly what we believe without relationship, without deeper context, without meaning. But we know that this is true about ourselves. We know that it's people who have shown us grace who we accept truth from. If you were in a, a grocery store and, and you did something to make someone mad at you and they said, oh, you're such a jerk, you wouldn't really listen to that person, right? Because you don't have a relationship. I mean, maybe that per, you might think back and reflect, oh, maybe I acted a little bit like a jerk in that situation, but I'm not a jerk. I go to church, right? I mean, you have all these things. You would say, well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm a, you have to believe I'm, I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm not what you're saying I am. And you would say, well, you just, you just don't really even know me that well, right? But if someone who you loved, I mean, a parent of yours or a spouse, if someone that you really cared about said, you know, I think you're really acting like, like a jerk lately. And they had some more examples than just one. And you're going to listen to someone who has shown you grace, right? This story shows us that we need to be people who start with radical grace. And that gives us the opportunity to say some hard things. Jesus says to her, go now and leave this life. You know, don't stay here. Don't live in this place. Jesus teaches us that we shouldn't trust ourselves to throw stones. That we should examine our own hearts, examine the ways that we are living, because it's so easy to identify sin in other people. But it's almost impossible to see it in yourself. It's so easy to point fingers, to say things, to act in ways that maybe God wouldn't call us to. But it's so hard to continue to show love, to continue to show grace to people, continue in relationship. But Jesus shows us what it looks like to not live trying to point out all the sin in everybody else.
us to try to look at ourselves to realize the great, unbelievable grace that we've been shown to live from that. So I want this scene to come alive for us a little bit. I have a video which I think well illustrates uh, what this might have looked like. And I have something for us uh, to further uh, consider when we come back after watching this.
so much easier to throw rocks, I think, if we're honest, than have conversations with people who've hurt us or people we feel are sinful. It's so much easier, I think, sometimes in, in fear, we would prefer to stand back and throw than to enter into relationships and get to know people who are different than us, or get to give a second chance to people who've wronged us. I think of Jonah, who is ultimately mad in the Old Testament at the grace of God. He's mad because he goes to Nineveh, which is the, the enemies of the Jewish people, and he says, I knew you'd be compassionate and loving. That's why I didn't want to come here. Sometimes God doesn't hate the people that we do. That's actually good news, right? Because God has been unbelievably gracious and kind with us. And Jesus, in this moment, asks these people who are gathered there today, and I believe he asks us to do the same, to drop our rocks. It's so much easier to fill your hands, to, to feel angry, to feel justified, in it. But as the people of God, we don't fill our hands with rocks. We use our hands to lift other people up. We replace condemnation with conversation and relationship. We show the grace of God that we have been shown to other people. Yes, we, we speak truth, but I believe truth comes after showing radical grace. We actually have a, a moment for us uh, to consider, to, to continue to, to think about this. And we have rocks that are back there in the, uh, the back of the auditorium. And I'd like for those who are comfortable and able to participate in this. Think about someone that, that you might be aiming a rock at right now. An individual or a group of people that you feel maybe righteously angry at or justified in your frustration. I'd like you to go and, and pick up a rock and then come and, and think about for a moment what that person has done to you and maybe how that person has wronged you or what that, that group of people, what makes you so afraid. Hold the rock for a minute. Don't drop it so quickly. But as we sing these next three songs, I'd encourage you to, to go at some point to grab a rock in the back and to come and, and drop it on these blankets that are up here because we don't want to mess up the carpet. So, But during these next three songs, I'd like for you to think about someone that you, maybe you're aiming at, someone that you feel righteously justified in being upset at. And just as Jesus turned to the people gathered that day, I just say to you, drop your rocks. Examine yourselves first. Find relationship, find ways that you can build bridges. Sometimes that takes being the bigger person, sometimes that takes radical grace. But over these next few songs, I'd encourage you to grab one and come down front over here to drop your rock. Let's stand and worship together.